chapter 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for these words, and we can never fully understand the depths of the cry that was made by the Son of God. We cannot come close to the pain and horror of that reality, but we do pray we will understand something of the marvelous grace towards us in these words. We ask that you will please help us to the degree that we are able in these finite bodies to understand the infinite majesty of God. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. There's a passage in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It's one of my favorite passages in all of God's Word, and it's a passage that over time I'm slowly starting to piece together with the rest of the Scriptures. Uh, in short, it gets at the idea that all things were made by Christ, but all things were also made for Christ. All things were made by Him, but all things were made for Him. And it led Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, to the provocative conclusion that Christ did not come into the world for us, but we came into the world for Christ. And uh, there's a, a lot of theology behind that that I won't get into. But when you think about all things being made for Christ, you can go back to the very beginning of God's Word. And at the beginning of God's Word, the emphasis is upon darkness. There is darkness. And it is not until God creates light that God says something is good. Now, that's not to say in that context the darkness was bad, but it wasn't until God said, let there be light on the first day that he was able to say that the light was good. Now, after the entrance of sin, we find that darkness is almost always used for something that is not good. Uh, there is the idea of very dark. There is the idea of dark deeds. There is the idea of evildoers who hide themselves in darkness. We find in the Scripture that uh, darkness is thought of as a curse. There is death in the land of darkness. Darkness and judgment upon the wicked. And you read the Psalms and you see this. Hell is a place of outer darkness. There is walking in darkness. There are works of darkness. There are people who are darkness. There is sin and chaos and judgment. And it is very often associated with Darkness. In fact, darkness is a symbol of the terrifying majesty of a holy, righteous God in the presence of sin. And that darkness will be judged. So when you go through the Scriptures, you find that darkness is not something that is good. In fact, darkness is something that is usually a sign of evil or God's judgment upon evil. If evil is darkness, God judges evil with evil in a sense. So in verse 33 that we read a little bit earlier, 
we are told, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At noon, 12 o'clock in the day, from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, there is darkness over the whole land. And this is God making a statement. I believe that there's a sense in which the cross here at this point is a sort of decreation. So, just as God has creation in Genesis 1 coming out of darkness, there's a sort of decreation where God is going to bring something out of this darkness now. He's going to bring light and life and resurrection and hope again. There will be a recreation, but this is the beginning of the decreation. This is the beginning of sin in a certain sense being swallowed up in the victory of Christ. And you will remember that the plague upon the Egyptians was one of darkness. In fact, two of the plagues are actually fulfilled in Christ's death. You have the plague of darkness and you have the plague of the death of the firstborn. Now, remember in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven. And again, there's a flip thing going on here. God is stretching out his hand toward earth. But Moses is stretching out his hand here toward heaven. That there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. And here's the key words I want you to think about. A darkness to be felt. This is not just a neutral state where there was no light for a while. This was a darkness that was felt. This was a darkness that, in my opinion, would have created some terror, some anxiety among the Egyptians. They would have physically felt this darkness. You can go to bed and it can be dark And you can rest peacefully. This is not the darkness the Egyptians were experiencing. This was a darkness to be felt. It was a plague. And it would have caused them worry and anxiety and stress and fear. Because it was a judgment of God. Now, was what happened all those years ago on the cross a natural phenomenon? Some have said, well, this was a natural phenomenon. It just so happened that it took place at the precise time when Christ was crucified. It was a solar eclipse, but those who have done their research know that uh, those things do not happen when there is a full moon at Passover. Some have said there was a sandstorm. Now, we are really stretching the boundaries of... uh, trying to deny God's providential and mighty hand in this. But it was a wet spring season and sandstorms typically do not take place there. No, this is a darkness that God has created by His supernatural power for a very specific reason. And that specific reason is God is judging. When He brings darkness, He is judging. And we're told in Amos chapter 8, verse 9, And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon. On that day, I will make the sun go down at noon. It was the sixth hour, noon. God has made the sun to go down. 
And we are told, and darken the earth in broad daylight. On that day, when God will judge, He will make the sun go down at noon. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy long before what had actually happened. And this darkening is a symbol of God's judgment. So when you get to verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have to understand that cry in relation to the three hours that Christ has been along with everybody else there, in total darkness. We know that time flies by when you are having fun. But is it not true that time seems to stand still when you are suffering? These three hours, I believe, would have felt almost like an eternity. Every second would have counted Every second would have been felt. It was a darkness to be felt. And Jesus understands that when that darkness came over the land, that was a darkness from His Father. That was a darkness from one whom He had intimate communion with all of His life. That was a darkness from one who had said, this is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Or on another occasion, this is My Son. Listen to Him. He would have understood that this darkness was not just a darkness over the land, but this was a darkness from His own Father over Christ. It was a darkness to be felt most especially by Jesus Christ. The light of the world was for three hours swallowed up in darkness. He was swallowed up in judgment. He knew every second, every minute for those three hours was God not withholding His judgment upon Jesus. He knew that God had turned His face away. He had lost something He had never experienced in His life. And that was the smiling face of His Father because it was at that point He had taken our sins upon Himself and God was saying, I agree with this verdict of judgment. I agree with this place of this crucified Messiah. And I have stamped my Amen in a manner of speaking upon the cross. So it's in that context you can see why He would cry out. In other words, to have not cried out, why have you forsaken me, would mean that Jesus was not sensible of what had just happened for three hours. It would have perhaps indicated that he was already dead or that perhaps he'd been drugged up so much that he didn't know what was going on. But that was the point, wasn't it? Is that he wasn't drugged up. That he was fully aware of what was going on. And so after those three hours, he had to cry out those words. There's a sense in which if he hadn't cried out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
he wouldn't have really understood what he was doing at that point on the cross. And so he cries out with a loud voice, a mega voice in the Greek, a loud voice so that everyone could hear. And you think about what troubled Christ so much was not so much that the Roman soldiers were going to take a spear and drive it through him. Not so much that he'd been beaten with cords. Not so much that he was being mocked with King of the Jews. Not so much that he was having the beard pulled and people mocking him and saying, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and we will believe you. It wasn't so much all of that. It was that the Father, by sending these three hours of darkness, seemed to be approving of this judgment. And that's the only explanation for Gethsemane. This cry, my God, which is a type of prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is the sequel to Gethsemane. And that's why he said, let this cup pass three times. Because he knew that if the cup did not pass, he would have to say, why have you forsaken me to someone whom he never dreamed would ever say that? Imagine the horror of even one of our own children thinking for just three hours that their parent actually didn't love them. Here, Jesus is on the cross, experiencing the darkness of His Father, and He cries out as He must. Martin Luther, one occasion, sat at His desk for three hours, and He meditated on these words, and then He pushed Himself back from the desk and said, God, forsaken by God. God! Forsaken by God, who can fathom such a mystery? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is, sitting around you, sitting in front of you, sitting behind you, sitting beside you. That's the answer. Why have you forsaken me? Because I will not forsake these people. This day on Friday, this Good Friday, which was not a Good Friday for Jesus. It is a Good Friday for you. Because you should have been in outer darkness. You should be crying every day of forsakenness. You should be in the horrors of hell and darkness weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But Jesus enters into hell itself in a manner of speaking. And He says, Why have you forsaken Me? And the answer from heaven is so that I may not forsake those whom you have come to die for. So that I might be able to take their sins and place them upon you. And instead of frowning upon them, I will frown upon you. Instead of judging them, I will judge you. Instead of tormenting them, I will torment you. This is a good Friday for me and for you. But we also know that the darkness is about to lift because Jesus, in His final words on the cross, remembers the name that He had always known God by. Father. Quoting Psalm 31, verse 5, into your hands, back into the hands of His Father, I commit 
my spirit. And in a certain sense, he didn't just commit his spirit. He committed his spirit as representing your spirit and my spirit. Into your hands I commit the entire church. And that will be the hope of Easter. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the darkness, as horrifying as that may be, because you can bring out of the darkness light. You can take the evil of darkness and bring about the good, righteous, life-giving Son of God out of the tomb so that we may know that the hope we have is not pretended, but it is as real as anything else. We ask that on this Good Friday we will remember it is a Good Friday for us, though it was a bad Friday for the one who said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We pray all of this for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.